Hi everyone, welcome back to Write That Down. I'm Justin Nipper, I edit at FightGameMedia.com, I am a staff writer at F4W Online and WrestlingObserver.com, I am back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author and writer and historian and broadcast journalist and sociologist and, I said historian, right? Mr. Fumi Saito. Yes, like I said, we're back. We present to you, this week, Ricky Choshu Part 3, the part, third part of our series on Mr. Ricky Choshu. This week we discussed mostly Choshu's life after New Japan, after being a wrestler, in a more of a manager slash promoter slash creative role as a, and as a wrestler who is not the Ricky Choshu we came to know in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, transition to a different function in a lot of ways. We talked about Double J or World Japan Wrestling, where there was Chochu's short-lived company that was an offshoot from New Japan, just like Zero One was, just like um, All Japan with Noah with their Splinter Splinter Group. This was another one of the Splinter Groups after the passing of Baba and after Inoki was doing his Enochism thing. Uh, Chochu had Double J. And we talked a bit about that and his other projects, and eventually talking about how he has, up to today, become this full-blown Japanese celebrity sensation in his later years. And a lot of it has to do with social media. So we'll get into that today, too. And that's it. This is, even though it's three parts, this was, you know, there's still broad strokes, and we haven't covered every single little piece of his career. So if there isn't something that we covered, let us know. And we'll talk about it. If you have questions, comments, whatever, talk to us on social media. Get a hold of us via Fight Game Media Online. We have details at the end of the show how to do that, how to reach us, how to reach Fumi. That's cool. A little more housekeeping before we get started, people. If you have not already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network free podcast feed. It's on Spotify, Apple, Downcast, wherever you're listening to your podcast, just go to the page, find the subscribe button, click that, because that little bit of work helps us out so much. Like, wow. Wow. No, for real, it does. Oh, also, I have a book out on Amazon. It's called Stronger Than All. It's a digital book covering all of the New Japan matches from the first two years of the show. New Japan Strong the American branch of the show, the company. It's cool. And if you have a Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. So there you go. All right, enough of that. Let's get into Ricky Choshu, part three. Like you said, it's, it's not typical because there are a lot of different... It's not a typical wrestler's path. He did a lot of different things too, but it was all yeah. related. It also showed that uh, that uh, what era we were in, you know, of all people, Ricky Choshu was one of the first major league pro wrestlers that got uh, you know very expensive paycheck from Hustle, you know. Okay, well, so in Hustle, what did he function as more of as a character? Just participate. 
Yeah. Uh, they wanted Ricky Toshi on the show. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, you pay for Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's service. You know, Hustle had uh, Mick Foley and Goldberg. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And also had Bob Sapp. And How do you describe Hustle? Together. How do you describe Hustle to somebody who's never seen it? It was a very unique hustle, right? Mm-hmm. It was a very unique, uh, very different kind of wrestling company that existed just five year period, uh, 2005 to 2010, 11. So a little over five year period. They're run by uh, DSE, Dream Stage Entertainment. It's a new company that was formed, formed so they can have one match. It was one match on the idea that it was original Nobuhiko Takada against Hickson Gracie Tokyo Dome match from 97. The company was formed and the, that the name, uh, that the show was named Pride and you know the rest. And the company structure has changed a couple of times, but it was the pretty much major force of this MMA and overlapping little bit of pro wrestling world and Pride was really popular and the division the Pride company decided to run somewhat a traditional wrestling shows too at the same time and Takada and his friends wanted to do it too and uh, there you had this very strange wrestling shows for five year period what was your initial reaction, Justin? Uh, it was hard to, it was really hard to absorb because it was such a sudden jump from just what four or five Japanese years ago. Pro wrestling, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, all Japan was still around in two thousand, so it wasn't too far behind that, and it felt like it felt like a flip flop between WWE and and. Hustle, it felt like... Uh, yeah, Hustle was a terrible interpretation of WWE, though. And that was also the time where WWE was the only game in town. They really became a big deal in Japan, so it felt like a reaction to that, to WWE's kind of rise yeah, in Japan. Yeah, after 2001 2000s. on, that, uh, for, when they were on TV. during this pande- pandemic, but uh, WWE for 20, you know, last... Yeah, good 20 years, yes. Always had their own WWE Japan tour. No help from any existing Japanese group. Mm-hmm. And they drew like rock concerts, you know, you know, interna- international rock stars type of deal. And a different kind of crowd. And, and uh, yeah, it's very po- pretty popular, I think. And uh, But the Japanese, it was Japanese wrestling community that, and, and the writer and people that uh, misinterpreted WWE, you know, kind of really judged WWE as a 1985 WrestleMania, Mr. T kind of uh, WWE, and they really stereotyped you know, typed it in their head for you know for 35 years or so, and it didn't, it didn't have, had Japanese wrestling community had no idea about WWE's say uh, ruthless aggression or attitude era type product. Mm. It felt like that, and it felt like um, it really felt like uh, MMA or whatever had developed by then was going to be the number one attraction going forward. It felt like 
this pro wrestling yeah, stuff. Yeah, almost it felt, did. Yeah, it felt as dead as combat, in some ways. Yeah, or more popular than boxing or something. Yeah. So it's fun. So Rick, somebody like Ricky Choshu is the like uh, symbol of the opposite of what hustle was, and having him involved is just tell you how bad business was that uh, people like Ricky Choshu and Fujinami, you know, all working as a singular wrestler, you know, like freelancing, you know, mm. was like a big, new big fish in, in, in town or something. Yeah. So they, yeah, Hustle and, and the Pride Company, Dream Stage Entertainment, DSE, they had, yeah, money to play around for the you know, first five, you know, not five years, but first quite a few years, yeah. Yeah, lots of, um, I wouldn't call them dream matches, but I would call them random pairings. Uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, Mick Foley, Bill Goldberg, Nash and Hall together. Yeah, but uh, they come in, well, Aja Kong is domestic superstar, so, you know, the storyline will be given, but uh, those Nash, Hall, uh, Mick Foley, Goldberg, they were brought in almost cold, you know, and uh they would not give you your A game, though. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Probably Mick Foley's case, yes. But uh, Goldberg, National Hall, probably just come in and do a show like another day at the office and leave. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was like everything what was wrong with wrestling you know, business at the time in Japan was like, was right this you know represented and in, in displayed right there in, in what what hustle was doing at the time and takara was a kind of evil oh the ruler Nazi yeah character oh yeah, dictator. yeah this, you had this hitler costume it's just awful thing and of all people like you know you are you know Toshiaki Kawada from all Japan, he turned in, you know, himself into Dangerous K, the different character. He himself called it different characters. Well, he's not Kawada, so it's okay uh, to be doing what he would be doing with Hustle. He turned himself into a comedy wrestler. Yeah, but then again, it's part of yeah, part of Kawada, something that he wanted to do and couldn't do was Jan Baba, an umbrella, sort of. And uh, it almost snapped, right? <laughs> sort of. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. Choshu got so, through that, but yeah, today we are talking about Choshu, and Choshu too. He worked, you know, quite a few dates. Yeah, uh, nothing important. Just tag team match situation, and just come in and do what Ricky Choshu would do: the clothesline somebody, and you know, Scorpion Deathlock somebody, and that uh, these hustle wrestlers will be flying all over the place. That's what that what they really wanted. And that kind of display was really, really like, wow, you know, this Ricky Choshu can be bought. And it, it, it was very hard for me to process. Yes. So, yeah, it was a, a different different landscape. And a couple of years before that, he did try his first um, real, I guess you would call it like a, a real, a serious attempt at another promotion or alternative promotion to, uh, to Noah. A new company, Japan. yeah, Double J. Double yeah. J, yeah. World Japan. World Japan Pro Wrestling, yeah. Ill-fated because it lasted only one year. But they had, you know, pretty big budget first. And you have Ricky Choshu, Masa Saito, and, and Yatsu makes make comeback. Of course, Ricky Choshu is the guy, and his opponent would be none other than, ten, you know, Tenru. He joined that group, too. 
and Kensuke Sasaki and a little bit Atsushi Onita and guest appearance of Hiroshi Hase and had a Kenso and what uh, Kenso Suzuki too and uh, yeah and Road Warriors yeah and uh, they uh, started with like Yokohama Arena show and uh, they were going to do the 15 consecutive Riki Choshu and Tenru match but the third match in Tenru somebody got uh, you know injured and they didn't do that but uh, yeah they had the strange momentum that the, some portion of wrestling audience, you know, so, uh, you know, in the middle of almost like a wrestling pandemic, like it's like wrestling has really entered into dark age that uh, New Japan split into maybe four or five different, you know, with, with Ricky Choshu's Double J, right? That by then, uh, 2002, Keiji Muto and his guys, like Kojima and Kendo Kashin, they joined All Japan. And Hash- 2001, Hashimoto and his guys, like Shinjiro Otani and Tatsuhito Takaiwa and Masato Tanaka, former FMW, he joined. And therefore, you had Zero One formed. And uh, there are quite a few companies that looked a lot like New Japan then. Is- are you following me? Oh, yeah. It was... It was a strange time because nothing felt unified. It felt like everything split into uh, a few different parts. All yeah, because uh, it's pretty far away for the, this cluster, but uh, all Japan progressing and pro, you know, Misawa's progressing nor it was as if we had two, two versions of all Japan progressing. Kind of, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, it did, because guys are the same, they work the same. And uh, New Japan, now, I'm talking about around year 2003 uh, it was Ricky Double J company the, that, the, they all worked like New Japan wrestlers and uh, Hashimoto's Zero One yeah they were obvious spin of, of New Japan and Keiji uh, uh, Muto's version of All Japan 2002 2003 it looks more like another spin of New Japan a lot more so than, than, than uh, it is all Japan pro wrestling, for that matter, and uh, it was really strange time. I'm I'm trying to get this you know image across, sort of, yeah. And Ricky Choshu was also part of that, yeah. And what I think a lot of people See? should realize is that um, the crowds were much smaller than they were years before. Yeah, yeah, because of K1 and Pride too. You know, very popular, real popular. Yeah, the beginning was Takada, uh, Hickson, Gracie, and year after that there was a not Pancras much, but Masakatsu Funaki himself challenged Ricky uh, Rick Hickson Gracie at Tokyo Dome, ninety uh, eight or so. Yeah, that he lost too, and uh, yeah, just uh, one after another. This you know former UWF guys that are that were super super big huge superstar they're losing to Gracie and the, the, you know it was a lot to do with uh, Japan's dark age of pro wrestling too yeah yeah it was sort of the beginning of that it was uh, the the two prides with Hickson versus Funaki and Takara I think Takara had two matches didn't he. Too much. That's mm-hmm. right. But the Funakis was like a called thing called like a dynamite or something. It's a completely different fund, different promoter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but each time Hicks and Gracie, you know, himself and he brought his entourage and and then, you know, every time, you know, Hicks and Gracie or uh, Gracie family for that matter, when they have fight, you don't just bring in that fighter, right? But they, you have to bring in the entire family to camp, you know, for mm. next two or three weeks or something like that. And uh, yeah, it was very interesting. But the, yeah, Gracie, or especially Hicks and Gracie in Japan, very marketable. And you know how Japanese wrestling fan or or MMA fans for that matter that they admire somebody like Hicks and Gracie and Hicks and Gracie really handled himself like young Korogach like really and he was really really popular his you know autobiography just came out this year and uh, finally translated into Japanese yeah yeah, so there was always was, a tie yeah. to to him in pro wrestling. That that um, what do you call it? Not MMA, but that uh, the idea of reality and the idea of how real the style yeah, well, was getting. We had that, you know, always had that in Japan. You know, you know, judoka against sumo, or you know, when uh, the, the, when they opened the you know Yokohama Bay, you know, lots of sailor, you know, man. And then sumo wrestlers started fighting, you know, what you call it later, MMA, yeah. And uh, yes, and always the judo against wrestling. And Ricky Dozan against Masahiko Kimura basically was, of course, it was a pro wrestler against pro wrestler, but the idea was sumo against judo, you know what I'm saying? Right. And how right. big In- Inoki and Muhammad Ali was, and Inoki against William Ruska, that uh, Holland, that uh, gold medal judoka, and uh, oh, Chuck Webner fight, of course, and uh, yeah, it's always pretty, pretty much valued really high. Those MMA fight work or not, yeah. So it really ba- backfired, you know, because it's uh, MMA and completely they're not wrestling people, you know, but they needed wrestling people, you know, like a famous fighter, you know, and uh, there was. You, you know, New Japan sent people. I I, I talked this over and over, but the New Japan, uh, Inoki, for that matter, because he was still very, very influential. But he's, you know, he sent people like Manabi, Manabi Nakanishi or Yuji Nagata or Kendo Kashin, they're all either Olympic or college wrestling champion with MMA training. But uh, you don't have fight, you know, MMA fight against people like. He you know, the, the federal Emilienko or Mirko Krokop only 24 hours after your regular wrestling match. How's that? It's just crazy. So how did Ricky Choshu uh, view the shift in 2000s? Yeah, it almost looked as if it was beyond his control because after all, he was not a part owner of New Japan, but he was a employee you know employee and wrestler and a booker and producer right and inoki is in process of selling his new japan wrestling company to uh you first you know that the uh, game company and also he you know you know himself start shifting himself to more on on mma and of the whole boom i think period because in Inoki's mind, back in his days, wrestling and MMA was one and the same. That was mm-hmm. Inoki's, you know, always same story. Back in his days, uh, it didn't really distinguish these two, you know, combat sport. 
pro wrestling was, you know, what you call MMA today. Something like that, yeah. Mm. It, it was all making sense while everything was like under, you know, New Japan umbrella and Inoki himself was a fighter and convincing, you know, always have convincing match at the end of the day. And uh, but it was Inoki himself retired really physically, uh, but uh, I guess still had power or um, influence, of course, you know. Then, then, then really shifted himself uh, with MMA. Then, if you remember, you know, for about seven year period, you know, New Year's Eve, you know, there's the NHK's singing, you know, that the uh, that the music festival thing, you know, the red flag and white flag thing. But other channels, Channel Four, Channel Six, Channel Eight, Channel Ten. They all had Inoki Bomaye, the Dynamite, the Strong, the K1, the M Pride. Uh, uh, the other channel even had professional boxing match. It became New Year's Eve tradition that the MMA for for about seven year period. That's how they and how big they were, you know. And uh, oh, that was Dark Age of Pro Wrestling. Yes, I think they even still do. You know, Raijin tries to do things like that around. Yeah, uh, New but the Raijin days might might be numbered by now. Yes, it's very different. Yeah. Very different time. Not. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just looks the same, but it, itself, it's not connecting the same way as it did oh, twenty no. years ago. Yeah, and I'm glad it's 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 that uh, the twenty twenty years has gone you know have gone gone by. Yeah. It's a different structure and different people and different audience and different people, different generation. Yeah. So we're looking back, you know, the dark age of progressing in Japan that really happened, you know. And it really scares me to this day. Hmm. It really does. Yeah. Frightens me. Do you think it'll happen again? Oh, no, not anytime soon. You know, it wasn't more like a very much to do with millennium too you know that a uh, lot of or most of all the good things of 20th century you know somewhat came to an end at some point you know uh, this popularity of you know progressing or new japan or or you know progressing Noah or stardom is completely different from that the popular popularity we had in 20th century different people different time uh, different generation of wrestlers and different gen generations of wrestling audience, fans, you know, and uh, different producers making it too. Yeah. So I, I think it's all different now. Yeah. So Ricky Joshin by this point became more of a producer. He was in that producer role in the 2000s. And it was free. Yeah, yeah. We saw it with Double J. But uh, there they they had to be a falling out between New Japan and and Ricky Choshu, or he wouldn't, he and Masa Saito and, and uh, Katsuji Nagashima, the big executive of New Japan at the time, they wouldn't quit New Japan and start Double J. They had their winning plan, wouldn't you think? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first year that they're talking about, they were running Tokyo Dome that year, 2003, with Ricky Choshu and Masa Saito and, and Tenru. It's like, 
いうんちゅうに、somebody like Hiroshita の話、right?、うん、<笑> I don't know. But that, you had to wait another you know, three or four years for rise of you know, superstar Hiroshita の話、Shinsuke Nakamura.、Yeah. At the time, they were still young, you know, young lion. Oh my gosh.、Yeah. So it was kind of like a period where Inoki had stepped down, Baba was gone, Choshu was more of a backstage personality, Fujinami was too. I think he was president of New Japan around this time. And, right.、Um, Because that was his turn. <laughs>、yeah. So the,、uh, there was nobody and, really and in the spot. I point out that, that the Muto's version of All Japan Pro Wrestling, because of、uh, Misawa and his guys Pro Wrestling, Noah's Ark, the whole project. Yeah. It was just chaotic, right? All the tradition, you know, 20th century wrestling tradition, yeah, did come to an end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and things seemed and, scattered for a while. Yeah. And、uh, I guess that、uh, at the time in EA 2003, Ricky Choshu and his people, and Katsushi Nagashima and his people,、uh, was convincing enough still、uh, at, that, at that point to convince,、uh, I wouldn't say many, many sponsors, but uh, uh, rich enough guys to run a wrestling company or two for a year or two. How's that? <laughs> How much would you need to run the wrestling company for one year and one year only? You know? Because sponsor people just don't give you money. They expect you to start making money back within three years or so, right? It's funny you mention it like that because for the past decade or so, Choshu's been doing a lot of、uh, one and two year,、uh, I guess. Experiments and the Shingun era, Japan Pro Wrestling era, Ricky Production era, yeah, and then New Japan era, yeah, and well,、uh, even、uh, Lidette and the, the Glate company he's a part of, in you know, a little bit of a not a major capacity, but oh, still yeah, involved. after 2006, 2007. Uh, you, you, you talk about that、uh, real, real, real pro wrestling or that the legend pro wrestling, the、uh, Big Mouth Loud, or you know, just another smaller spin off of like a New Japan style pro wrestling business or something.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are quite a few that I cannot remember even. Yeah. And Ricky Choshu was always the main event. Because first show, they usually see those smaller you know, late starter, you know, that、uh, I can't remember a few names, but the, they usually start with, you know, grand opening at the Korakan Hall. And for some reason, Ricky Choshu was the main event of that e- evening. Yeah. And they、uh, was aiming, you know, an older, you know, audience, I think. And、uh, you can price a little higher with, for, for an older You know, wrestling fans, older audience, and also you can price a little higher at the Korakan Hall. It's like a, the whole place is like ringside, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 so interesting. But after all, the, the, the whole Ricky Choshu is like he's an individual, but he's like a wave that when he comes over, he just doesn't come along, you know, he brings his. I don't know, his wave of people and entourage and a new wave of business or other, a couple other projects to, you know, to come with it. You know? He just doesn't do it himself. But the, when he shows up, 
uh, he brings his new company over to you know introduce or his new march and you know march you know came out or his new i don't know youtube or am radio series starting or something yeah always have something to announce yeah ricky choshu himself is like an entertainment company now yeah he's a brand does that make sense yeah, yeah. he's like his so own it's, brand. yeah the ho- household name yeah um so a couple years ago i guess we can talk about this now the uh i guess they call it the choshu revolution the the social media revolution he had a couple years ago um yeah he found he his way on twitter so much like so much like i and chic you know what i'm saying that's a good not as bad as that. i mean of course not as uh, extreme but um uh silly uh, kind of yeah silly. in the silly way because he, he just learned how to use his Twitter on on his you know cell phone I mean the smartphone rather that uh, then he was free to type in you know then upload whatever he you know they felt like but it was like oh oh my, oh my gosh let's not let him do that uh, his manager took his phone because uh, that uh, things that go up on on, on the internet that matter you know that way that they I guess they have to read it first. You know, don't let him do that, you know, kind of thing. I don't think he's uploading his own Twitter now, you know. He has things to say, though, but somebody else has to type it, I think. It's too dangerous, right? Yeah. Hello. Yeah, like you said, he's a household name. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, he's... Well, Iron Sheik is a a good uh, not not it's not as extreme, but uh, it's good. Uh, it's a good kind of comparison to what he's like now. Mm-hmm. And also, he um, uh, he's a good sport. You know, retired sports celebrity male. You know, he's a father. He's a grandpa, and uh, he's a friend. And, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so good he, image. I, a very good image now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was a bad guy in his, you know, in his days. But now he's retired, all smiling, happy, you know, happy grumpy old man. How's that? Yeah, always smiling in his pictures these days. Yeah, like laughing. You know. Yeah, yeah. very different from the '80s. The 80s, 90s. Oh, the image he had in the ring and in the, in the, the you know the backstage or how he walks around, just oh god, it was like so. I all in all, he uh, he was just you know just like or a lot like Anthony Noki that uh, you are Ricky Choshu 24 seven. Yeah, I guess today's wrestlers, you know, are not as 24-7 as, you know, previous generation of wrestling superstars. He does have a legacy, but it's it's hard to, to see the legacy because he's still so, you know, involved in the business. Oh, not quite involved in the wrestling business anymore that, about, that much, just uh, he's in the public eye. Uh, he's on, he's on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. He has his own what uh, uh, 
the YouTube channel with what 32 million, you know, <laughs> the play, you know. I counted it. It was like a Sanzen Nihakman Kai, some some shit. Like you know, two, 32 two million. million. Yeah. Yeah. 32 million. 32 guys. million. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, play, somebody pushed the button. Yeah. That many times. <laughs> Why is that? Why do people connect with them so much? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't think these, you know, new, you know, his new popularity or his i don't know him being a new new tv star this year because i don't think these that the ricky choshu fans today's ricky choshu fans are exactly wrestling fans or anything like that i don't think mm -hmm. it's just uh yeah uh you youtube audience you know and yeah you know the youtuber uh, attracts different crowds right sure not a different but the youtuber attracts youtubers and, and uh yeah and uh, they're just completely different dynamic out there i think yeah but uh yeah for R ricky choshu's is it's what's interesting is uh at the end he did not really choose to stay in, in any of these wrestling companies that he started, you know, started out as one of the original young lion style rookie with New Japan in right out of 72 Munich Olympic. And he was already a rest, pro wrestler in 73, you know, and uh, just like other young lions, today's young lions, he was sent to excursion. And at the time in mid seventies, Ricky Choshi went to West Germany. <laughs> Today's people don't know that. Huh? That's right. Yeah. How, how do you explain West Germany and East East Germany? And uh, the world was divided. You know, there was but, a USSR uh, Germany and uh, European Western Germany. Yeah, uh, the socialist communists. You know, part of the world to. Uh, free world and, and, and uh, the capitalist society. And right in the middle, you had the Berlin's Wall, right in the middle of German <clears throat> Germany. Anyhow, Ricky Choshu was sent to West Germany. You know, to, uh, now you don't have German wrestling. There are tons of wrestling company in both England and Germany, but they look like much like American American independent wrestling company, don't you think? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But in Ricky Choshu days in seventies, um when he went when he went to West West Germany, it was Otto Vance's company and also worked Roland Box company and uh European yeah, the canvas mat was really hard, like your floor, wooden floor. And uh yeah, th those were the days. Then he worked, I know, uh, there was a Ricky Choshu and Carl Gatch uh, myth, almost. It's almost like an urban legend that those two were going to, because obviously Carl Gatch coached Ricky Choshu in Japan. And a couple of years later, back in Florida, there was a few days of coaching that Ricky Choshu and, and Carl Gatch work to get a workout together where there was no camera there was no camera no video camera nothing right they just really worked out and there's like a two different version of stories that that 
Ricky Joshi said, <laughs> just screw this, because this is the type of conditioning training he'd done so much in his college amateur, and he wanted to learn how to work, right? To be a professional wrestler, yeah, teach me how to work. And then Korogachi wasn't that type of coach. He just give you this forever, you know, yeah, forever and never workout, you know, like uh, to be the Superman, superhuman. And this is different kind of philosophy in pro wrestling. It's funny that uh, Ricky Joshi come from amateur wrestling background in the former Olympian, but uh, we, what he wanted to learn from Carl was, hey, just teach me how to work instead of this. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Hello. The result makes a lot of sense too, because um, I can't see Choshu as a disciple of anybody. Like how Carl Gotch has his disciples, and how Inoki had his disciples, and Baba had his disciples. I can't see Choshu, or or somebody like Tenru for that matter, to have. I can't envision them having somebody. Uh, of authority so high above them to just, answer to yeah i can't like can you imagine but Choshu ricky, with Choshu, the... ricky Choshu himself admit to uh, admit to that that the inoki was that person for a long time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that's why he had to go heal you know they work against inoki in the ring and then you're equal almost you know mm. but probably never will be you know but uh yeah that kind of things that see, Fujinami, where well, Fujinami is like you, you know, he he try to heal a little bit, but the people don't just don't accept you to do anything else. You know, Fujinami is like hundred percent baby face, baby face that, forever. Uh, yeah, that doesn't change. You know, sure. Um, if he grows his beard or anything, you know, or you know, have a match against Ricky Choshu in single match, you know, 25 times, 30, 40 times, it's still babyface. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And a lot, a lot of the you know, Fujinami Choshu match, people cheered both guys. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the spots they didn't like, they booed both guys because they weren't liking what they were seeing, not because they were heels and that kind of thing. And now that they're both on, on TV, you know, the Fujinami and his family is most, more of like a cooking kind of, you know, show. And Ricky Choshu is like, have him go to a restaurant and, you know, finish up all the menus or have him play the latest computer game that he knows nothing about. Or, yeah, it's just different. They utilize different, you know, theme, I think. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. Kensuke Sasaki is on TV a lot. Right, and Nobuhiko Takada's on TV a lot. Now that I'm expecting that uh, Muto will be doing a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So S Sasaki is somebody maybe in, in we should talk way. about. Maybe we could talk about him a little bit more because I think he's, you know, speaking of disciples, if Choshu had a number one disciple, it would be Sasaki Kensuke. Because, because oh yeah, um, of course, yeah. Uh, I mean. Even down, for a while, down to the to the look, the same hairstyle, the same trunks, same wrestling style. Um, just yeah, clothesline stumps. Yeah, yeah, younger. Scorpion yeah. Deathlock, yeah. Sure, of course, of course, and uh, yeah, of course. It, it, it was as if after Double J, we talked about Double J, that the rest, world Japan pro wrestling 
very ill-fated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Early the 2000s. End of that, the, yeah, 2003, uh, Double J run, that uh, Akira Hokuto, uh, Kensuke's strong wife, you know, came right between Ricky Choshu and Kensuke, I believe. And uh, see, Kensuke himself invested some money into the Double J group as much as Ricky Choshu himself invested. Masa did too, you know. And it was they were gonna make you know make another major league of professional wrestling like right next to New Japan type you know, and uh, that was gonna be their plan. But uh, yes, Kensuke Sasaki invested his own money into that that he never you know got it back. And uh, yeah, that was the end of their relationship, I, I guess. For now, yeah. Oh, also, speaking of Double J, uh, that's where Katsuhiko Nakajima. Got to start when he was right. Young. Then, fourteen, fifteen-year-old, yeah, Kazuhiko Nakajima karate was a karate exhibition, right? Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, junior then high school. Then he came to Kensuke. Yeah, then came to Kensuke's you know house and started living there, you know, as their adopted son almost. Mm. And uh, yeah, we got married from that house too. Yeah, so yeah. It all connects. You can see the uh, the trace back to Choshu. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this double J time in the Kensuke Dojo, Kensuke and Akira Hokuto opened in their own office and company. They, they trained people like Kento Miyahara, uh, Masaki Tamiya, the, the, originally Katsuhiko Nakajima, of course, and co- uh, a couple other guys too. So, yeah, when you think about this landscape of pro wrestling, no, and today's old Japan pro wrestling, uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima pro wrestling no roster, whereas Kento Miyahara is your focal point guy in all Japan ring with, with, with multiple triple crown run. And they were both trained directly under Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto after Double J. Yeah. So not much uh, Ricky Choshu's fingerprint on it, but Masa trained him, yes. Train both of them too. Mm-hmm. So, there go. Yeah, similar school of pro wrestling, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have that um, MMA influence. It's the school of wrestling that never adopted that part of what the other right. side of pro wrestling More was doing. Of, uh, the the uh, Kalanel Botaya lock up to your side headlock, side headlock into your hammerlock, hammerlock into your double, you know. The, the drop toe hold, the takedown, all these—I mean, American style professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No martial American arts style. influence. Not much, actually. Not much submission to it, because in Ricky, Ricky Choshu's book, that's what you do at dojo. You don't use that at, uh, for matches. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. They don't. Supposed to pin. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's like. Um, it's like they'll do it at dojo because it's a spying, you know, situation that uh, Fujiwara is a king at dojo, and then young Fuji, both young Fujiwara and young Ricky Choshu were in it. You know, they knew each other real well, but that the Ricky Choshu decided that that's not something you do in front of the from the audience. You know, so you're wasting time, kind of thing. A different philosophy to it. Hmm. Yeah. But all in all, it's all still Inoki school of wrestling and Karagachi school of wrestling. It just went just different 
perspective or different extreme or something. Yeah, yeah it's split. It's split in uh, different philosophies or different paths. Yeah, so that's why in Oki School of Wrestling in early New Japan is, is something we really have to study. Yeah, Karagachi was, you know, influence was there, but uh, you know, Vince McMahon senior partnership with, with WWE, uh, WWF at the time. Yeah, the influence was all, always there, and the mixed martial arts idea of Inoki and Japanese heel faction idea of Inoki basically uh, that, that made Ricky Joshi a big, huge superstar. And uh, today's wrestling, yeah, every single Japanese wrestling company, this is like a babyface faction and heel faction within Japanese, right? Even, yeah, so. That uh, the fingerprints are all over, yeah, decades and decades later. So I guess if before we we wrap everything up, these three parts, if you had to give <laughs> listeners out there uh, match recommendations f- for them to watch oh, and wow. study, Rikichoshi, what are the main ones? Because a lot of this you could find on New Japan World for the most part. New Japan World too, yeah, and yeah. Uh, something that's not on New Japan World. Those two years, '85 and '86, with all Japan. That uh, night after night after night, basically, uh, Ricky Choshu's guys and Jumbo and Tenru's guys stood together. Okay, that the Jumbo and Tenru's, you know, all Japan faction, that they had six man tag situation all year long. So any six man tag, you know, the videotape that's you know out there, uh, 85, 86, all Japan against Japan Pro Wrestling, that's a big one. And also 85-86, you know, world, real world tag team tournament where Ricky Choshu and Yoshiaki Yatsu uh, worked as a tag team and had the single, uh, not a single, but the tag team tournament match against every single one of those important matches. I mean, important teams like the Funks, that the uh, Terry Gordy, uh, Stan Hansen to... Spivey to uh, then my kid David Boy Smith that the, the the type of wrestlers Ricky Choshu normally don't have matches against and those are very important you know videotapes Ricky Choshu against Harley Race Ricky Choshu against people like Bakwenko yeah those are very very rare case then back to New Japan uh, that uh, another set of single match against Fujinami and Inoki and also this time you have uh, three Musketeer, uh, Keiji Muto, Shinya Hashimoto, and Masa Chono. That the, those are the generation that in the 90s that the Riki Shosha had a lot of matches against. So, so all the different generations of in the matchups, those are all interesting. Hmm. Is and, that okay? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that there's tons to dig through. Yeah, if you have New Japan World, it's definitely uh, it has a lot of what we talked yeah, about. Tigers, yeah, yeah, social against Tiger Jit Singh, the, the show against Vader, Scott Norton, Bigelow. Yeah, all those. Inoki, um, of course, all, all the famous Fujinami. Oh, no, even Akira minor single match. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of other stuff uh, that's non New Japan, but um. Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, all Japan. I, I, I remember what year that was. On, on one year, there was a Masato Tanaka against Ricky Choshu single match at Korakuen Hall. I remember. Hmm. He's faced yeah. everybody seemingly. I mean, yeah, he, he yeah. Officially retired only a couple of years ago. That's right. That's right. And he he's on TV somewhere today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure if people are interested, they could find his TikTok or Twitter and uh, uh, follow too. him that way. <laughs> 
he, he has like over a million followers on Twitter as well. Yeah. Crazy. But uh, yeah, so that's the uh, Ricky Toshu in, in three parts. So uh, thanks for all the right. feedback. Well, Everybody... let's do the uh, Kensuke Sasaki. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah, Kensuke Sasaki, we, he had his own. Um, of course. Of he course. had his own path and he, he ended up doing uh, quite different things. Uh, he, and he... also, he was the origi- original grand, you know, you know, Grand Slam champion. Mm-hmm. New Japan's IWGP, All Japan's Triple Crown, and 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 then Pro Wrestling Noah's GHC. Uh, he yeah. was also one of the few Japanese heavyweight wrestlers that was on American television quite a bit in the mid nineties. Oh, I suppose right, right. At least in my memory. And also, I loved the Hell Hellraisers, Hulk Warrior, and the Power Warrior. Yeah, that was epic. Yeah. So, so... we'll do Kensuke Sasaki shortly. Yeah. Sure. Uh, oh, even next week, yes. Sounds good. All right. So, if people have questions on this or anything else uh, for Fumi, where can on we find On Twitter, at, at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O. Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter or Fumi Saito on Facebook. Message me first. And actually, I'm on inst- Instagram too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper on Twitter, K N I P P E R. So, that's it. Ricky Choshu. Three parts. They're up on Spotify and, and Apple or wherever you're downloading this. So next week we're gonna. Think start we covered on... everything? I think so. I, I think, think so. I still missing. Yeah. Think so? Okay. If if we missed any uh, particular parts or or moments that you wanted us to cover, let us know. Um, talk to us via social media, and we'll talk about it here next time. Easy as that. Sounds good. Okay. So until next time, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo.